Thank you, Hunter. I'm glad you mentioned the chili cook-off and also that purists will tell you that chili uh, is without beans, but some of us grew up in families where we had to make the meat stretch, Hunter, so we had to add a few beans in there. So I, that's the way I like my chili, these poor folk. All right, uh, if, you, uh, if you haven't gotten your packet, please uh, go after service, and this is our, our campaign packet, and you'll find all kinds of information, but also, as we've mentioned throughout the morning, the 40-day prayer and reflection guide. So we really want you to be a part of this and the community aspect of what we're trying to do. Okay, guys included, be honest. How many of you have been following the drama across the pond? Y'all been watching this? Okay. Just a, a few. Really? Boy, I have been glued to the television set. This has been awesome with Harry and, and Meghan Markle, you know, coming back and everything. I got to thinking, this is like a Hallmark movie, right? But it's kind of in reverse, you know, because you got the young prince from the foreign land who gives up his claim to the throne uh, for, you know, true love and the ability to marry a commoner and, and also to make a truckload of cash. You know, it, it's just kind of a, a neat deal. Well, apparently someone is not happy about this, and that's the queen. In fact, she said, okay, you can be released from your royal duties, but you have to give back the $3 million we spent last year refurbishing your cottage up to Megan's standards. And so, uh, yeah, but her response is, how can you devalue your place and your position in the kingdom? Harry, your royalty, do you know what you're walking away with? Do you know what you have here as being a part of the royal family? And I got to thinking this week, what do we have in Jesus? You know, we've been told we're residents of God's kingdom. What does that mean? What value can we put upon that? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And in a list of parables, Jesus tries to describe exactly what it means for people that say, okay, I'm going to come with you. I want to find out more about this kingdom that you're preaching about. I want to join in. I want to partner with you and become a resident of this kingdom that starts now and will be fully realized in the world to come. And so Jesus says, you need to understand what it is you're getting on board with and how valuable it is because there's going to be a cost to discipleship. What is the value of the reward? Matthew 13 and verse 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, boy, he hid it again. And then in his joy went out and sold all that he had. And boy, he bought that field. He said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant that's on the look for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he said, that's the one I want. He went away and sold everything he had to buy it. I want us to look at these two stories. And, and first, let's start with this farmer in the field. So you can imagine maybe he's a day laborer toiling in the field of a landowner. And, and maybe he, he's behind the plow. And he's trucking along and he's doing his thing. He's cutting in the rows. And all of a sudden, the plow hits something. But unlike a rock that just bounces off, he hears a shatter. And so he kind of, whoa, stops the ox that was in front of him. 
and, and he goes back to the place where he heard the sound. And sure enough, down in the, the dirt, he sees a broken terracotta pot, a clay pot. And so he gets down on his hands and knees, and he starts digging through. And after he lifts off the big piece of the pot, he sees the sun come in, and something is glistening. Some gold coins. And so he's like, oh my. And so he starts digging around, make sure no one's looking. And, and he picks up that one pot, and underneath is another. And so he carefully unearths it, and there's another one under. Three pots full of treasure. Can you imagine that feeling of this, this sharecropper, this day laborer, as he, do, as he does it, and he, he discovers this. So obviously what, what's taken place is the previous owner of the field buried this treasure for safekeeping. Uh, maybe there was a, a thieves that were in the area and they were knocking off different homesteads. He's like, well, I'll just bury the family treasure out here. Maybe he grew ill and maybe forgot where it was. Or maybe it's an invading force that was coming. And, and they knew their route numbered. So like, take everything valuable and bury it under here for safekeeping. That way, if, if they come in, they won't find all of our treasure. But now, this piece of ground that people have walked over for tens, hundreds, maybe in a thousand years, now you, you've come upon it and you've discovered what everyone else has walked past, this hidden treasure. Man, what would you do? Does that sound far-fetched? In 1992, tenant farmer Pete Watling from Suffolk, England, was out repairing a fence on the far end of a property after he had just got through seeding the ground there on the farm where he was, he was doing some sharecropping. So he's over at the fence and he goes with his tools and he's repairing things. And then the sun's starting to go down, so he decides, okay, I've done enough for the day. So he picks up his tools, and he starts carrying everything across the field, and he gets back to the place where he's staying, and he starts putting up his tools, and he realizes his hammer is not there. So normally you'd say, well, I'll just go out and get another hammer. But this was kind of a sentimental hammer his grandfather had given him. And so he knew with the recently plowed up ground, it was going to be hard to find it. But he went back and forth looking here and there. Sure enough, as the sun went down and it got darker and darker, he couldn't find his hammer. So the next morning, he puts a phone call in to his best friend, a retired gardener, and he calls a guy named Eric Lawless. He said, Eric, you've got some time on your hand. I've lost grandpa's hammer. Can you come over with your metal detector? And so what they did is the two of them went over to the fence row where he had been repairing. He goes, okay, here's the last place I had it. And so they turned around, and they've got these little ear things in where they can hear if the, uh, the metal detector picks up anything. And sure enough, they hear a beep. And so they get down their hands and knees, and they start digging up. And they didn't find the hammer. They found a silver spoon, a very ornate spoon. They're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Keep going. And so they dig down, couldn't find anything else, so they start going in, get another hit, a gold coin. They go a few feet further, and there they found a whole bunch of silver coins. So they're like, this is fantastic. And then, so they're starting, they think that they have, have, have pretty well exhausted the supply of treasure. But they go ahead and leave the metal detector on as they're walking back towards the house. About 30 yards away, the metal detector just goes crazy. The meter starts going. It starts beeping in their ears. 
they had to go back and get shovels to dig down even further, and they found a decaying metal box, a decaying wood box, and inside of it, here's what they found. 569 gold coins, 14,272 silver coins, and 24 bronze coins, all dating back to the 4th century A.D. Deep down in this decaying wooden box, they also pulled out 29 pieces of ornate gold jewelry, 98 beautifully crafted silver spoons, four silver bowls, two silver ladles, and a silver vase. They also found several one-of-a-kind art pieces that are made out of gold and silver and also ivory. So it's just crazy. And later on, they found the hammer. So it's pretty cool. So <laughs> what would you do if you found this treasure? I mean, you're, I'm just going after a hammer. And this is what I walk upon. Scripture tells us this is what the farmer did. He didn't want anyone else to find it. So he gets down on his knees and he starts packing the soil, starts covering it up. Now, I would imagine if he's thinking, okay, I don't want the grass to grow over here, but I've got to look around. So he starts finding place markers and identifying and it's so many steps over to here and then I turn and it's right there and you'll always remember where that treasure is. And maybe he waits a week, maybe he waits a month making sure no one knows what's up. And then he goes in and offers a very nice asking price to the landowner, having to sell everything he has to meet this price. Well, now we've got this merchant. Well, he's in search of the perfect pearl. Now, pearls back in the, in the time of Jesus were not as common as they are today. Uh, there was no such thing as these culture pearls that they make for the perfect pearl necklaces. No, back in the time of, of Christ, well, pearls, divers had to dive down in without, you know, the ability to have scuba equipment. They dove down and they had to pull up these, these clams and, and open them up and find these pearls. In fact, pearls during that day were more valuable than gold. They were so rare. And so for years... You can imagine that they're in search of these things. Well, the most valuable pearl for many, many years was a massive 14-pound pearl found in 1934 off the coast of the Philippines. It was named the Pearl of Lanzhou because supposedly it resembled an ancient Chinese philosopher of the day. And so this massive pearl was been on display down in New York City in Times Square in Ripley's, believe it or not. And they estimated this huge pearl to be valued at $93 million. Huge pearl. A few years ago, a local fisherman off the coast of the Philippines, Panawan Island, he got caught out in a storm. He's by himself. He was afraid that the storm was going to take him further out to sea. And so he takes his anchor, throws it over, and then hunkers down during the storm. And so after the storm was over, he tried to pull up his anchor so he could go back in to the village. But his anchor got stuck. Well, he assumed it had got stuck on a coral reef. So he dives off the side. And sure enough, it was caught in a coral reef. But the reason it was caught is because he had skewered a huge clam down there. 
And so he unlodges it, and then he carefully takes it up, and with a lot of effort gets this massive clam up on the side of his boat. When he pulls back into the village, when he gets to his house, he carefully cranks it open and finds a humongous pearl. So up to the point, up to this point, the largest pearl is a pearl of Lanzal is 14 pounds. This one was 74.9 pounds. Massive, massive pearl. He's found his treasure. But he doesn't even know it. What's the application for us? What is Jesus trying to communicate as we start thinking about the kingdom and being a part of God's world, of entering into the royalty, of grafting ourselves into his family line as sons and daughters? Well, I want us to look at at three points what Jesus is trying to communicate with this parable. Number one, he would tell us to remember the toil of the search. Each of these people, both the farmer and the guy that's looking for the the pearls, the merchant, they search and, and they toil and they go about their daily routines until they discover this incredible thing. For years, the farmer toiled in this field and he didn't own it. In fact, half of all that he labored for went towards the guy that actually owned the property. And likewise, you think about this merchant. What they would do is they would travel from town to town up and down the coastlines and they they would ask fishermen that are coming in but they would also go to the local shops and say you know i've got this special client but they're looking for something just incredible i I know you've got your common pearls here what do you have in the back room and so they'd walk back there and unfold it and okay well that's pretty good but i'm going to keep looking and so for years they they toil and so hoping that they'll find, off, find something that will pay off handsomely. You know, I, I got to thinking about how a lot of us spent our youth, and sometimes it's a misspent youth. And if there's a void that's there in our lives, the different things that we do to fill that void. And you, you think about, you kind of recall back in your life, all the roads that you went down that ended up in a dead end. Or maybe it ended up in heartache, and it ended up, you know, how did I get there? Why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? And so Jesus says, please, remember the toil of the search. Remember what it was like before you discovered me. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's warning to his boys that it wasn't just a misspent youth, it was a misspent life. He goes, guys, as you're getting ready to start your life, you're going to go off to college, you're going to hopefully, you know, get, get gainful employment and get out of your parents' house and stuff. And as you start your life, he goes, you need to realize all of the mistakes that I've made in my life. I, I've gone after work. And, you know, you know, growing up, I, I was gone before the sun came up and I came down, you know, came back as the sun came down. I I ran after women, I I ran after this, and all these accomplishments. And at the end of life, it was just meaningless. So Jesus says, tap into, remember what life was like before you became a resident of the kingdom of God. Remember how painful the toil of the search is. Number two, we need to recognize the value of what you found. You know, Jesus is telling his listeners 
life united with the Father is like a treasure beyond belief. And, and it's a treasure that's hidden to the world. And it's, it's a fragrance that doesn't smell sweet to those that have rejected it. But it's a treasure that if you will accept, will change your life. He goes, you need to realize you're going to go through hardships. It's going to cost you relationships. It's going to cost you jobs. It's going to cost you your life. But the life that you receive is worth it. Recognize the value of what you have. You're going to find the secrets of life. You'll find the secrets of happiness. You'll find the secrets of true joy, of purpose, and direction. And I'll give you the pathway. You'll no longer be going down dead-end roads. But you will hop off the, the road that is well-traveled. And you'll follow the path that leads to true life. That's what you have when you unite yourself. It won't be easy, but you know you're heading in the right direction. Recognize the value of what you've stumbled on. Because this treasure is priceless. Peter Watling and Eric Lawless knew exactly what they had found when they unearthed this decaying box. It was a pile of treasure. There's no doubt. Well, under English common law, if no one makes claim to the treasure, unlike here in the States where if, hey, take it down to the police station, if no one uh, comes looking for it, it's yours. Under English common law, they have to pay for the royal, so it goes to the crown. And so they knew this, and they knew they couldn't keep the treasure. So what they chose to do was actually pretty smart. They ended up calling uh, the English um, Iniquities Museum, and, and they said, we found treasure. And they were like, don't touch it. Like, well, we kind of pulled out a few things. No, 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 leave it. So they immediately send out a crew to excavate the entire farm and this entire land. And so when they unearthed all this and they brought it back to the museum, they gave the men a reward of $5 million to split under one condition that they could keep Peter's hammer. And he said, I'm sure my grandpa would understand that they include it with the exhibit. Here's what's amazing, though. There's a totally different story with the Filipino fisherman. He had no idea what he had reeled in. He knew it was a big pearl. He thought it was pretty cool, so he put it under his bed. For 10 years, every morning he'd get up and he'd rub the pearl before he went out to go fishing. So it was his good luck charm as he went out. Well, as life goes, things happen. His roommate started a grease fire and burned down half of their apartment. And so he had to leave while they're renovating it. So he couldn't afford to go and, and buy another place because he still had rent going on here. And so he knew he'd be crowd surfing. So he's like, what am I going to do with this giant 75-pound pearl? So he takes it up to his aunt's business, which she runs the local tourism there in the city. He goes, do you mind putting this? Maybe people want to see the largest pearl from the area. Well, one of her coworkers starts looking at it and says, you know what, that may be a record breaker. Starts doing research and determines it's five times larger than the largest one on record. They call the authorities and they come in and verify that it indeed is the largest pearl ever found. And they said if it were to go to auction, the value would start out and the bidding would start out at $100 million. He had no idea just laying under his bed 
for 10 years. What do we do with this? The final thing Jesus would have us understand is to respond to what you've discovered. Respond to what you've discovered. Okay, now that you've found your treasure and you know what you have, what are you going to do about that? You know, the farmer that stumbled upon the treasure sold, joyfully sold everything he had in order to go buy the field. The merchant, same thing. He went beyond, I'm sure he borrowed money, anything he could. But once he saw that pearl of great value, he knew how it would transform his life. The price that it would fetch in other markets. He says, I'm not leaving this shop without, name your price, I'll get you the money. Sell everything else, I want that pearl. See, it's the discovery that Peter made after the miraculous catch that when Jesus is on there and, and tells him to throw his nets on the other side, Lord, we've been fishing all night, try it. He pulls in and pulls on those nets, and it, he can't get it in, has to call over the other boats to come help him pull in his miraculous catch. And Jesus says, leave all that. Leave your dad's business. Leave your security. Leave the, the life's path that has been prescribed for you for generations Leave all that and come chase after men. Come catch and be fishers of men. It, it's that moment that Zacchaeus, when he had been ostracized because of some mistakes he had made and his livelihood and what he was doing, when he finally gets offered community, when Jesus says, I want to come to your house, and when Jesus tells me about the kingdom of God, he's like, hold on time out let me tell you what that's going to mean for me the value it's going to give to my life if I'm welcome into this kingdom when I've been ostracized all my life he goes half of my possessions Lord it's yours because I value what you have given me and if I ripped off anyone just come talk with me four times the amount you say I'll give you that as well none of this stuff matters once I have this treasure I love what Mike Belknap shared in his devotional thought this week. Mike says this, At the center of the universe is the God who is strong and good. And we know what we're most thankful for. That when we were helpless, when we were hopeless and dead in our sins, Christ gave us new life and a clean slate. Amen? Although we deserve nothing, we have been given everything through God's grace. This week, I heard a podcast featuring Mike Lindell, who came up with what? You guys know? My Pillow. Yeah, I mean, have y'all had that? Yeah, it's awesome. So, Mike Lindell was promoting his new book, What Are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO? I had no idea. And in this podcast, he starts describing his life. He said, I, I grew up in lower middle class family in Minnesota, and he decided he was going to try to live differently and do something Im impressive with his life. And, and, and so he decided to become an entrepreneur. And he said he got the idea when his sister's apartment down, down the hallway from him flooded and everyone had to get their carpets clean. He went out and rented a carpet cleaner, and that was his first business, is cleaning everyone's apartment. And, and so from there, he started one business after another until he stumbled upon the recipe for the perfect foam pillow 
and started my pillow. It's just an incredible. Unfortunately, the fame that came after his first infomercial in 2004, it didn't help Mike. See, he had a lifelong struggle with drugs and the notoriety and the monies that were coming in, it caught up with him. See, in 1982, Lindell became addicted to cocaine and alcohol and, and later became addicted to crack cocaine in the 90s when regular cocaine just wouldn't do it for him. And his addictions stretched into his time when he started My Pillow. In fact, he lost his wife, he lost his family, he lost his house, he even almost lost his business, all because of this. So he hit rock bottom, he said, in 2009. He said suddenly they went from five employees to over 100 employees in order for just coming in, and so was the money. He took that money and he went on a two-week binge of crack cocaine. He said he didn't sleep at all. He was so wired during this binge. He got so bad that those that were selling it on the street started sending out word, stop selling to Mike. He's not going to make it. And he's one of our good clients. And so he was at, a, at, at an end. He was coming down off of that. He couldn't buy any more. And so he made his way, by the grace of God, into a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. And he looked across the circle, and he didn't recognize anyone until he got to about right here. And it was his best friend growing up. And their eyes connected, and they got about this big. Well, at the coffee break, he went up, and he said, what are you doing here? This was not just any friend. This was the friend that he first smoked marijuana with, the first person that he did cocaine and the first person he did crack cocaine he said Mike I've changed I'm clean I'm completely over this I want to help you too and he goes no I'm not doing the rehab thing I've, I've tried it he goes that's not what I'm talking about he goes I went to faith-based counseling in a faith-based addiction center and I discovered the treasure that I have in Jesus Christ and Mike says, is it real? Because if you're asking me to walk away from something I know is real, I know what it does to me, both good and bad, he goes, that's a high price to give up this lifestyle. He goes, Mike, it's real. The treasure is there. It has the ability to change you. On January 16, 2009, Mike said, I had one prayer that night. God, I want to wake up in the morning and never have that desire again. He went to sleep, tossed and turned. He woke up the next morning. He said it was gone completely. He went on to get some faith-based counseling to find out what the triggers were and to dig down into his relationship with his parents and his father in particular that had caused him to go out and search and, and to try to find this. But he said ultimately Jesus was this gift that filled the hole in his life. He said from that point on, he's been done with drugs. And he started the Lindell Foundation to help his employees and also help those that are struggling with addiction. So here's what I have for us this morning. Here's the questions and things I want us to wrestle with. Boy, if you are here, maybe someone invited you, but you haven't found your treasure, don't, don't keep looking. Jesus says, it's not going to be hard to find me. I'm right here at the door. I, I'm knocking. All I need you to do is open that door 
and allow me to come in to fill that void. I promise I'll be that thing you've been looking for. Number two, if you found your treasure, you found Jesus, you give your life to him, don't undervalue what you've been given as residents of the kingdom. Jesus is not a good luck charm that we rub every morning when we get up. He, he's not fire insurance. It's a life-altering thing that we've been given. We have found this treasure. We are residents of this kingdom. So live your life in response to that treasure. We need to realize that we're a prince and we're a princess. We've been grafted into the royal family. Lay claim to your throne and live your life as if you are God's children. If we can help this morning, come now as we sing.